Welcome to another episode of What the Crew with your hosts, Vipke and Kevin. In this show, we talk with friends and experts about everything related to running, your fitness, health, and some occasional random stuff. In this episode, we had the pleasure to chat with our friend, James Morhan. James was a competitive amateur runner for many years, hitting his personal best of a 250 marathon in Rotterdam in 2018 and celebrating this with a running training camp vacation in Kenya. Yes, seriously, a vacation. Before he transitioned with the same dedication to CrossFit in 2019. Learn about his no-bullshit training approach and what made him switch to CrossFit. Buckle up for a unique, personal and inspiring story. Enjoy! James, welcome on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's I'm a pleasure really excited. To have you. Yeah, same. We are so excited to have you today. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of things today. You have a good experience with running. Yeah. You've been a runner for quite a while. Yeah. And um, you also have uh, some uh, training camp experience that you went in Kenya yeah. for a while. And we're also going to talk about this. So maybe as an uh, introduction, people want to know a bit more about yourself. So can you... Sure. Tell us? Let me start. I'll yeah. go way back to the beginning. Um, so when I was a young kid, I was very much like a lot of people in Britain, um, wanting to get into football. So I played football a lot, played for a Sunday league team. Um, uh, yeah, I played a bit of tennis too. I uh, didn't really get into running so much, but I'd always said I was a pretty active kid. Uh, my parents were really good in supporting us saying, if you want to do any sports, go ahead. You know, they were uh, always willing to sort of take us to games, take us to training, my dad especially. Um, because your dad was uh, athletic. Uh, like yeah. So my dad used to run well. quite a lot when he yeah. was, he was younger. He cycles a lot now too. So he's always been very active. Um, they, so we get that from them. Then I was always football obsessed, constantly played football, even all the way up till I was 18. Uh, I remember when I was my first sort of, sort of, uh, introduction with running, mm -hmm. uh, did a bit of cross country when I was probably 10, then kind of left it alone again. Then, um, when I was 15, Uh, and I was in secondary school, I saw that there was an opportunity to do athletics in the summer. So we do different sports for different terms. So we do football through the winter and then athletics, tennis, et cetera, in the summer. And um, I'd always fancied myself as one of the more endurance-based. Part yeah. of the team. Yeah, team, part of the or, team in football, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was always my kind of my mantra, you know, work hard. Um, I wasn't necessarily the most talented footballer, so I made, off, made up for that with effort. Um, so I figured running would be good to me. And I saw that there was a, uh, they post the times of the records for each, each year at school. And, uh, I saw that, so I was in year 10 at the time. So that'd have been like, yeah, 15 years old. And I saw the record and I thought, you know what, I'm going to join up and I'm going to try and get that record. A record for what? Uh, 1500 meters. Okay. Because that was the longest distance you can do. Yeah. Um, so then I showed up to training. Uh, I think the first lunchtime training, we did some like interval repeats of like 600 meters. I think I was nearly sick because <laughs> I probably had lunch way too, too early beforehand, yeah. but, uh, um, I stuck with it. So kind of, you could see that this is, this was my first introduction to say how to properly train for running. Um, did, did, uh, you know, weekly sessions, et cetera. Um, did a few meets, which was quite cool with 1500 meter races. And I think on the last race of the year, uh, I actually beat the the record by a couple of seconds. So. Um, yeah, it was really, uh, rewarding to yeah, kind of nice. see yep. that. And I was kind of surprised myself and actually we had a sort of sports award for the end of the year. 
and I got most improved. And so shout out to, uh, my teacher at the time, Mr. Hunter, um, <laughs> because he was like, yeah, this kid showed up, he put in the work yeah. and he shows you can get a record. And I yeah. think that's like a really good example of just, yeah, you do the work, you get there. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a big mantra of mine. Do you remember what the time was that you bet? In, uh, yeah, on the 1500? it was around four minutes, 50 for oh. 1500. Wow. As a 15 year old. Wow. Yeah, I'm still not beating that. <laughs> Let's say it like that. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm older, so maybe I should get some credits, but I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. I, I would have, again, yeah, there's there's kids that age who can run faster, but I was pretty pleased with it too. Pretty pleased with it, he says very, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, modestly. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I think probably later that year as well, my dad got me to sign up for a 10K, uh, which was quite cool. Ran my first 10K, just a kind of casual fun run. And then kind of left running alone for a little bit because then you you get into 17, 18, yeah. in sixth form, played football more, was playing for a couple of teams a week. Um, but I kind of realized like I'd already built up this, this endurance base, so to say, because I was always a pretty active kid, not just through sports, but did stuff like did a paper round every morning. Yeah, um, you, so you get up at like 6am, no, 5am sometimes, yeah. go and cycle around the village in the pitch black and with a, yeah. 10 kilos worth of papers on your back. And I think all this stuff adds up. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize too, when you're a kid, if you'd be an active kid and it can really make a difference in, in your fitness base. Yeah. yeah. Then, yeah. So I played football, 18, etc. Then when I got to university, I went to Edinburgh university, I kind of decided, okay, I don't want to trial out for the football team. I've kind of done with football for a bit because, you know, I'd, I'd done it, done it for so long. I kind of knew where my level was. Um, let's try something else. And I thought, all right, let's try, you know, you were quite good at track a couple of years ago. Let's have a go at that. So I joined the athletics club, really, uh, enjoyed the atmosphere there. So the nice thing about the athletics club was it's mixed gender. So yep. male and female, which is quite uncommon for a lot of university sports. So there's a lot more of a social dynamic to it. It's not yeah, boys versus girls, etc. Um, very inclusive, and very knowledgeable also you said like you were yeah. talking about your training uh, the other time so that it was not although it was completely organized by students themselves exactly so we have say fourth year students who've been there a while there's also a lot of athletes who are say knocking on team scotland's door um hmm. etc so and then we had coaches at say the local track club who have trained you know very high standard athletes mm -hmm. So we organized our own training with the university and, uh, that was, yeah, where I got my first sort of sense of building a training program, so mm -hmm. to say. So, you know, one day we'd have circuit training in the gym, we'd have a track session, we'd have a hill sprint session, um, on Arthur's seat and everyone showed up no matter the weather, if it was snowing, if it was raining, which if people who know Scotland knows it's raining quite a lot. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say, you don't have a chance if you are living in Edinburgh, I guess. Exactly. So you get quite used to the conditions quick. Um, yeah. And so for my first couple of years there, just again, focused on 1500. I also spent a lot of time in the gym doing stuff, which didn't help for 1500, like hmm. bicep curls mm -hmm. <laughs> as uh, a lot of people who knew me at the time would, would do so. But I think everyone does when they're that age, they kind of want to look good as well as perform. But it, that's where I kind of really fell in love with running. So to say, mm -hmm. um, at the time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And if we fast forward long time afterwards, so basically about two years ago, you did and completed the Boston Marathon, right? Yeah. So that was kind of, in some ways, a culmination of my long running distance goals. Mm -hmm. So then if I kind of separate off from university, so I kind of finished university and then I started a full-time job in the city in London, um, quite decent hours and stuff. So I kind of, you know, I'd lost my kind of crew, so to say, 
um, from university. And I was like, all right, well, what's the next goal? And I thought, let's have a go at long distance running. So it's an easier thing to train for when you've got a job because, you know, you just need a pair of shoes and you can get outside the door. That's kind of was my logic. Yeah. Um, And I set myself a goal of trying to run a sub 45 minute 10K. Mm -hmm. I thought, right, let's set a goal. You'll do the training. And that came pretty quick, actually. So like um, a month or so. I think it was the, just the first chance mm-hmm. I had to, to go in because I didn't realize at the time quite how good my base was relatively for an average yep. runner uh, for, for say local meets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I built up and did my first half marathon and I kind of went along as I did kind of keeping the same habits of a gym session every week, uh, maybe a bit more to, to, to do that, the different elements of training intervals, hill sprints, et cetera. Then my first half marathon was 121. Yeah which is an okay time for a first half marathon. I think this is extremely decent. Uh, Yeah. And so I was... Was it an official race? I'm sorry. Or was it like you just, as a 10K, went out by yourself? No, it was an official race. Yeah. uh, In Windsor, I believe. Then I'd I'd done a half marathon in the training, but like say a longer run, so like a 15 mile run as part of the training. And then after that, I was like thinking, okay, let's let's go bigger. Let's let's try a marathon. Yeah. And it was around about the time that... uh, Kipchoge was going for his first breaking too. So yep. it brought up a lot yep. of hype. So that was 2017. Yeah. And I looked oh, yeah. around and thought, right, let's pick a cool race to do. So I picked the Copenhagen marathon and that was in May, 2017. I kind of decided I was going to do this in December. So, you know, as I do with a lot of things, if I see the goal, I plan for it and I make sure it's going to happen or at least do everything in my power to make it happen. Yep. So I scoured Reddit and sub forums for how do you build a training plan? How do you build up mileage? What kind of things do you need to consider? Um, yeah, all in. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, all in. And and I was quite busy with work and uh, Marlous was living, my girlfriend was living in a different country at the time, so I could put quite a lot of energy into this. Did so and th- the whole training cycle went really well. Yeah. And on my, so that was my first marathon and I ran 2.58 and it was my goal to break sub three. No. Nice. And, wow. uh, yeah, That's it was, really I was really, really pleased. That was yeah. probably still the proudest moment oh. of my running sort of history. Wow, yeah. And nice. more because of how I went on the race day. So I know I'd done all the prep. I was in a really good mindset. I knew the pace was good. The first 13 miles went by and it was just like a breeze as I think all good marathons should do. Yeah. The first half shouldn't, shouldn't even feel like yeah. effort. And I got to mile 20. And my calf completely cramped huh. and I can, I hobbled for a few steps and I thought, oh my God, I'm done. Probably for a, a second, I thought that. And then as soon as that second passed, I said, no, you've trained too hard for this. You're going to finish. And again, this is, I think that kind of make or break in your mentality of, I'd said, I put in too much work here. I've no, I'm in shape. You're going to just keep going. And again, it's one of those experiences but if anyone's done a marathon, they'll be able to explain to you those last 10K are purely mental. Mm-hmm. Your body is falling apart. It's how can you keep your body moving? How can you keep in the right mindset? And I did. And I got to the finish, still carrying on at the same time. Don't know how my calf was there. And I remember just <laughs> running down the final straight. Wow. Just, yeah, pure elation, pure elation. Yeah. Well, um, what kilometer did it happen that uh, your calf cramped? So around uh, kilometer 32. Oh, wow. That's so you, usually yeah. the wall around 30. Exactly. It yeah. was the prime spot of saying, here's the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then like 
Okay, with your speed, less than an hour, but uh, still you have to go for quite a bit on, on and just telling yourself yeah. then mentally like, fuck no, I work yeah. for this. Well, but <laughs> Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. And still finishing within three hours. Yeah, and this is something I like to talk about a lot. I think one of the strongest things you can do mentally is sort of draw on adversity. And it doesn't need to necessarily be deep adversity. I think mm -hmm. you see it a lot in sports where people do draw on deep adversity. For example, someone like Lewis Hamilton in F1 had a really sort of rough upbringing, um, fighting against racial injustice, mm -hmm. bias, et cetera. But even, even small things too. So when I'm, you know, feeling my calf cramp, I'd be thinking, remember that when you went out at 5am to get that training run in or when you ran when your legs were absolutely led, you know, you don't do these things to just give up now. Yeah. And then uh, Jake talked about it before your previous yes, guest. Indeed. And then that's, you can draw upon those things and that'll push you through. Yeah. 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 Um, I was uh, thinking also like when you, it's really impressive to see that uh, the moment that you set yourself a goal, that this is enough motivation for you to get up um, every day or every other day. I don't know how many trainings that you have to prepare for that uh, Copenhagen uh, marathon. Yeah. So I think my peak week I ran, I didn't do too bad a mileage. So my peak week was around 60 miles. So just over a hundred K, Yeah, which yeah. is For a, for a three hour barrier is probably on the lower end of what people do. Yeah, actually, yeah, but still. Um, but I would a lot of my average runs were quite fast. Yeah. Um, and then it was yeah, say six runs a week, two gym sessions. That kind yeah, of thing. yeah, like uh, especially full time job in London, probably mm -hmm. quite demanding. Then of mm -hmm. course you have the advantage of your girlfriend not living with you, but yeah. so you have like a little bit more spare time, but still. Uh, how many people actually do it to get up um, at five o'clock in the morning, go with a run in, have an entire eight hour work day, socialize in the evening, or even have a second running session you sometimes talked about? Yeah, I used to. Well, in my second cycle, we'll come to that in a bit. Yeah. But well, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day with the GB sprinter, Dino Asher Smith, and um, she was talking about this precise thing. She knows how to get up and put herself through the pain cave every day. Yeah. And they drew upon a a quote from a philosopher even, and it sums it up nicely from Nietzsche, which is, uh, for anyone who lives for a why can endure any how mm -hmm. or endure any what. Yeah. So if you know what the goal is and you really want that goal and you know what needs to be done, you'll do it. I don't mind getting up at 5am to go do it if I know it's going to get me. If you me really in. want it, yeah. You go exactly. For it. That's the point. The if you really want it, because we have, you know, all these, um, We all probably had this one goal, especially around January that we put up and then we quit uh, doing yeah. it after a few weeks. But if you really want it, you just go for it. Then, yeah, that's yeah. still how many people are there that do that. Yeah. Impressive. And especially since you had more like a community crew around you in Edinburgh. Um, mm -hmm. And then you were, I'm assuming, doing it relatively alone in uh, London or did you already have a crew as well? No. So the majority of my training, a good 90% was by myself. And that's because it was also quite hard to find people who could run at the same pace or like yep. goal paces. Or at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, maybe. that too. <laughs> <laughs> But then again, I also know a lot of people who are equally dedicated, we'll say, uh, competitive amateurs yeah. who will do the same silly stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a fun or like the fun thing. We are, um, that's all still amateurs. Like it's really high level. Yeah. I think there's a big scene of that in the UK as well, particularly in running Okay, of people who run with clubs, etc. but they don't, they are just amateurs, but they want to be good and yeah. they'll do everything to be good. Yeah. 
So uh, coming back to Copenhagen, so yeah. we finished that. You reached your three-hour goal, mm -hmm. but it was not the end of your running career. No. So again, I took like a week off. Was pretty impatient. Um, a lot of people say you should take at least a week off running. I agree. Now I didn't at, <laughs> at <the time>. least. <laughs> so I think I did Copenhagen on the Sunday. I could barely walk for like the next three days. Then on the Saturday, I was like, yeah, I feel okay. So I went out and did like a 10 mile run. And then on the Sunday I did uh, a half marathon with Marlies and it was her first half marathon. So I was kind of her pace runner oh, then. So another, mm. another race. Yeah, but I wasn't racing. So I, okay. well, I paced for her. Not for an official yeah. organized event. Yeah, an official organized yeah. event. And then you kind of have to set your next goals. So I'm, I'm a big believer again in just, you know, when you reach a goal, celebrate it for a little bit, take some time off, reflect, yeah. mm. set the next goal. So I decided, all right, marathon done. Let's set a fast 10K. We again went on kind of a more of a speed cycle through the summer, which was really nice. Go to the track a lot. Um, ran a 35-minute 10K, which was a really nice route in London, which finished in the Olympic Stadium. So that was quite mm. cool too. Then uh, carried on my training sort of through summer and ran the Great North Run, uh, which is a really big race in the UK. So for those who don't know, it's a half marathon, which starts in Newcastle, finishes by the sea in South Shields, which is a really big deal to me as well, because my grandparents are from South Shields. My mom's from South Shields. Nice. So I know a lot of family members who've done it. My dad's done it. My mom's done it. My granddad's done it, cousins, etc. Mm -hmm. And it was always, we would grow up, we'd go up for the weekend. We'd stay at my grandma's and people would come through the door who've just finished. We'd give them tea and sandwiches. Mm. And I'd always been pretty athletic and I hadn't done it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of my turn to step yeah. up. So I did the race again and found myself kind of, I knew the training was good, went through the flow and then you get to the last like kilometer, 800 meters and you look at your watch and you're like, oh, I could get sub 120 here. So you just, I just flew to the finish because it's not the flattest course. It's quite a difficult course. Mm. And that was my first time I ran sub 120 in the half marathon. Wow. Which was my third half marathon yeah like people can't see it that only listen to us but i'm shaking my head i'm just in awe <laughs> that's fast yeah it is for, for for an amateur I exactly because you have a damn life beside it it's not that you're you're doing six times training a, a week uh, yeah a week but um it's not that you have an entire team that uh, prepares all your life around it yeah exactly i didn't realize at the time yeah. Okay. People say to you, you're fast, but you don't think you're fast because you're looking at the next person. Yeah. Oh, I get always. that. Yeah. 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 But so, when I look back, actually, I was looking the other day before I came on at what my terms were, they rank kind of like top 1%, top 20 at the time, under 23 in the country they were. So I guess, yeah, you could, you would call that fast. Not too bad. Relatively. Yeah. <laughs> so the half marathon there, mm -hmm. uh, finished 120, under 120. Yeah. So then it was the goal to do another marathon to qualify for Boston. So for those who don't know, if Boston is kind of like the Mecca for amateur running because the places are allocated on fastest times, mm -hmm. that's it. Always on, no matter your age. So the age, well, I say no matter your age, there's age qualifying yep. grading for, for each. So for men at the time, you had to run a sub three hour marathon. Mm -hmm then the way they allocate the places is any everyone would say a sub 245 time applies first, sub 250, sub 255, mm -hmm. sub three. And then there's actually a cutoff on the time. Mm -hmm. So it could be the case that like the cutoff time is two minutes, 58, 30 for the last say like year and a half. 
So again, I kind of built up into a huge training cycle. Um, I decided that I was going to do it in Rotterdam because it was a really flat race. It should mm-hmm. be fast. I had a, and, and that's when I kind of went all in on like a really big training cycle. Yeah. Doing double days, those kind of things. Um, that was the first time I kind of ran with a crew in London. So I ran with Track Mafia, who are a really cool crew. Shout out to those guys, yeah. Corey, Jules, Justin, Manny, um, which is I really needed actually because the individual training was probably taking its toll because you kind of get stuck in your own ways a little bit of, right, you need to do this and suffer, which can be productive at times, but it can also be damaging too. And they were good to have kind of a weekly reflection of like, uh, what are you guys training for? What are you doing? Bouncing ideas off each other when it comes down to the kind of small preparations of, you know, race day, what shoes, what gels, et cetera, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and adding a bit of fun back into it too. So we do like a weekly track session there and everyone goes and trains hard and everyone trains together. So that was cool. Yeah. But that was a really rough training cycle for just yeah a number of reasons. And I think it probably was taking its toll quite a bit and people will say that and I can see that now, but you never kind of see it in the moment. But, um, you, you know, you, you learn from it. So then, uh, I had the Rotterdam race, um, it was the week after I moved to the Netherlands and I had Marluce there supporting me. She was awesome because she was there halfway around with my Martin. Again, I was like so ready for the race. I'd never been in better running shape. Yeah. I dealt with like quite a lot of struggles during the training cycle, but it just helps you if you come to the race line fresh. So again, this is kind of like the preparing you'll find, mm-hmm. you find any method of, of how to do it. So I remember like, again, anecdotal stories here, but it was super snowy for uh, that winter in England. And a lot of the time around my parents' place, you have to run on country roads, et cetera. So mm-hmm. don't get swept. So beautiful to run around, I think, because there's nice undulation, um, quiet, it's picturesque, but the downside is that, yeah, when it's snow- snowy, you're not going to be able to run. So I remember like one weekend I was like, right, I need to get my long run in. And it's like the most important long run before you cycle. And, and I couldn't because it was raining with snow, all the gyms were closed because no one could get to them. So I managed to go to a track <laughs> and this wow. just shows you how sort of crazy you yeah. can be, but if you want to find a way and I did, yeah. I did 22 miles around the track, 11 miles one way, 11 miles the other from lane seven. So not to go too tight on the turns. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And it's those kind of moments where then you come to the start line of the race and you're like, yeah, but you did that on tired legs. So you've got this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, when it becomes hard in the actual race and you go back and be like, no, I didn't run like 22 miles on a track for the giving up now exactly exactly yeah so those are the moments to draw upon when you know you're tired at 10k to go etc and yeah so i ran 249 then which was my best time i probably could have run faster i think but we'll get into that later of how i kind of decided to yeah step away from running again again that was my that was my second marathon so to run 249 for a second marathon age 23 is okay i guess no, I guess okay, okay. <laughs> I guess we can say that. No, that's awesome. And I, I love the, to see the, the commitments and how you, you go like a hundred percent in and how you have like this very clear objective of what you want mm-hmm. and, uh, just, just nothing matters. Just go with for it and then yeah. do whatever you need to do. Yeah. The that's moment awesome. it's set, you go for it. Yeah. yeah. And that's funny enough. That's probably where, which caused my sort of passion for running to, to die a little bit, not die, die is the wrong word. I always still, I still love running, but, um, after Switch. Rotterdam, it beat me up a lot, that training cycle. And I didn't really set the next goal. 
So I actually said, let's go and enjoy it, which I did. Um, so this is when I'd booked for that summer to go to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as part of my sort of research, et cetera, I read a really nice book by Adharand Finn, who called Running with the Kenyans. Highly recommend to everyone. And uh, he's a journalist. He goes to, he is someone who ran it when he was in school, rediscovered his love for it, uh, decided to go to Kenya and do this piece on why the Kenyans are so good at running. Because he'd always grown up watching Kenyans win on TV. You see them running world championships, some of them with no spikes on, just running barefoot. And he, his sort of mission, so to say, was to go to Kenya and discover why they were so good. And it's a really good book. I won't go too much into the reasons why. We'll talk about them because as part of um, the training camp I went on, so it's with a company called the Kenya Experience, where he would be on the camp and he would kind of go through talks and we'd meet some of the people from the book and go through their you know, beliefs, uh, experiences as to why Kenyan running so good. And so for me, this was kind of a celebration, enjoyment of running, like super passionate about it. You're going there to train for two weeks, which is, yeah, when you meet obsessive athletes, this is their idea of a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how the Kenyans train, like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to see what it's like. So they're getting into the camp a bit. It's, uh, in a town called Iten, which is the hotbed of running in Kenya. So it's in Western Kenya, quite high altitude. So you, we fly to Nairobi, then you take a smaller uh, plane to Eldoret yep. and then up into a tent, which is a sort of town village in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Really simple living. So you're, you know, sharing rooms, etc. cetera. Um, and you're there to train, sleep, and repeat pretty much. Eat, eat sleep, eat, eat train, as well. repeat, yeah. Yeah. We were talking already beforehand and we also received this question from uh, Tim. Is there, like, can anyone go to uh, Kenya and run with them? Uh, I wouldn't say anyone can apply to this camp. This is just run by a company. They are quite, the local attitude is, I think, changing a little bit to how many people come. Okay. So, like, they're happy with people to come and do so, but I imagine there's probably slight irritation of too many people coming. They don't want it to be a tourist attraction. It is just people training at the end of the day. And we were, when we were there, we were very respectful. If you ever saw an athlete training, you're not going to disturb them, no matter yeah. who they are. Yeah. If you just happen to come across them. Yeah. But then, yeah. So all the best Kenyan trainers, uh, Kenyan runners pretty much live there and train. Yeah. Then again, like, I don't think there are like so many people that happily just pay to uh, run for two weeks. Yeah. Um, but they are just special people. Um, is it, but it's like not that you have to have a certain application of a. No. So it was just a limited amount of places. And, mm. and uh, Finn runs a special edition camp. It was only once a year. So it's not very often that it'll be on as well. Yeah. Where you get to go. And uh, yeah, we got to, to train and meet some of the people he talks and run with some of the people about he talks about in the book understand the Kenyan way of training, which I'll go through quite, quite briefly, which again, how is it, how I base my kind of training week without realizing. Yeah. So it's quite typical that when you run fast, you run fast. When you run easy, you run easy. And then they kind of structure it. So it's say on your Tuesday, you'll have short intervals, could be hill sprints, mm-hmm. could be far leg. So it could be one minute on one minute off times 10, 15, et cetera. Wednesday would be an easy day. Uh, with Monday also being an easy day or medium day. Then Thursday would be longer endurance. Actually in Kenya, it's not, but I'll, for us, this is how it would look like. 
um, longer endurance. So something like, yeah, three times, 10 minutes, uh, five times one mile, those kind of more endurance sessions could be a progressive hour run as well, where you speed up as the run goes on. I think that's a good, uh, training session as well. Mm -hmm. Saturday, easy or Friday, Saturday, easy. And then, uh, like a Sunday long run. Mm-hmm. And then probably Monday you would take your rest day and Sunday runs as well should be quite close to your race pace. It's one of my gripes with the average runner is that they do their long runs too slow. It's not a slow long run. <laughs> it should be a hard long run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then long run, uh, you're considering everything above or is it time wise? Yeah. I think time's a better yeah. comparison yeah. for yeah. an average runner. Yeah. So for me, I'd say everything above one hour, 45, mm-hmm. I'd consider a long run. Yeah. Yeah, regarding the pace, the, the pace. Yeah, I guess because yeah, twenty one k for those guys is different to twenty one k for your average runner. Yeah, and that's the funny thing as well because you see these Kenyan runners and some of them will get up to close to two hundred kilometers in a week, but if you look at their time on feet, it's not that lot that long by comparison. Yeah, true. Yeah, and um, so this um, training camp was um, for you the next thing after the marathon. Yeah. And because you, you, you said you needed to have a, like a new goal, a new objective, something yeah. that you wanted to, to reach, um, with this training camp, what did you hope for in a way? What did you want to reach? Or was it just that you were taken by the book and you were like, okay, I need to. I yeah. I think this. getting some better insights of being an athlete and the kind of preparation they do, how much they sort of live with it. It's quite, I think it's kind of every amateur's dream to kind of live like an athlete for a bit in the mm-hmm. same way that a lot of kids would love to be a professional footballer for a month and you get to kind of do that to a degree and also just, uh, yeah, enjoy it a lot as well. You've, you've trained really hard, take some enjoyment out of it and be with people who enjoy it as much as well. Explore a lot of, you know, internally, externally, um, you're going to train hard. So feel that benefit from it. Yeah. What did you take um, out of it? Or what uh, was yeah, a so big surprise? Because you said your training before was apparently already similar to how they train. Yeah. Like- so I think kind of structure in building speed sessions, um, running harder when you need to, lots of good form. I actually think I was a better runner in the UK because there's a lot more hills. I think is one of the downside mm-hmm. about the Netherlands. It's too flat. Yeah. I think uphill sure. running and downhill running make you a lot better runner, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is kind of untalked about. Also... Uh, eating to, you know, high carbohydrates, they eat very simply, lots of vegetables, lots of high carbohydrates, lots of calories. And this is all what you learned in the camp as well? Yeah, it kind of reassured in the camp too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you live, you eat a garlic and beans most days like they do too. Um, and we spoke to, so we had quite a lot of seminars with runners, um, with uh, coaches. So the main coach there, I'll tell a little story. So the kind of basis of, how Kenyan running became so big. There was uh, uh, a guy called Brother Colm O'Connell. He moved to Kenya in the 70s. He set up a boys' school up in Inten and kind of took his athletics background from Ireland and uh, became the coach for actually a lot of successful athletes. And there's a lot of good things about Kenyans, which makes them good runners. And not so many of them are genetic, as people may think. So it's at very high altitude. A lot of people know how how high altitude helps with how you use oxygen, yep. particularly in cardiovascular sports. Um, the terrain. So the terrain actually there is quite, quite clay-like. Uh, it's quite soft. 
compared to say tarmac and it's quite undulating so lots of rocks so that does two things so you can probably run quite a lot further without a lot of pressure on your knees which i think a lot of people here don't realize they don't run enough on say grass or softer surfaces because your body can only take so much toll humans aren't really designed to run on concrete and the undulation as well builds the strength in your ankles because you're constantly landing on uneven surfaces mm -hmm. and then all those sort of micro twitches will help um they live obviously yeah very simple hard lives some of them when they're kids growing up on farms so again they get into that mindset of getting up early putting in a lot of work yep. um something i kind of yeah okay not to the degree they had but i enjoy too or draw from like i think as well something i got from my parents too and they would instill that in us subconsciously too. So like when I had a football game, when I was younger, my dad was a policeman, he'd come off night shifts and he'd still come watch us or he'd help us with the paper round when we had to go to like a game and, you know, no questions asked, they'd just get up and do it. Yep. So again, the same way Brazilians have with footballers, Kenyans do with runners, you know, it's the icon, it's their way out. Mm -hmm. So that's how they'll train hard. And that instills a lot of mental toughness in them. The biggest surprise for me, so a lot of that stuff was reaffirming stuff that I realized without realizing it. Mm -hmm. Stuff I kind of had or had done without, say, knowing consciously I was doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the bigger things I took from it was resting. <laughs> so that I was always someone who would choose training over not training. You'd be itching to do it to my detriment, I think. And that's why I kind of probably backed off and burned out a bit after Rotterdam. But such as you learn from it. And one of the great quotes from Finn when we were in Kenya is that a Kenyan can do absolutely nothing and be okay. And it's something that people around, say, in Western culture are rubbish at doing. How often do you just sit? And not do anything. Not watching Netflix, not reading, not, not doing something relaxing. But how, not never. sleeping, just, just sit just and, be, and no. be happy. Yeah, never. No. And he would catch people doing it all the time. Hmm. And so, you know, they really have the 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 two extremes of putting in the hard work and then recovering properly from it. And we kind of just have on all the time, even recovering is our kind of on, yeah. so yeah. to say. But uh, did you, is this something that, how did you experience that during the, the camp when, because he probably made you do nothing for a moment, right? Yeah. So we'd have a lot of afternoons where we would just sit around, recover um, before going out for a second run or be encouraged to say, keep a diary, just keep our own thoughts you can do stuff uh even even simpler stuff like maybe even going for a walk and, and just taking in scenery etc did you enjoy it or was it a hard for you no i enjoyed it i would and it's one of the habits i've tried to keep more now yeah do you journal um is this a personal question <laughs> i did during the camp and i did enjoy it i don't now i'll say that but i wouldn't be against it either yeah uh trainings journal That you uh, write down your training and yeah, how your training exactly. goes. Yeah, I do that now as well with CrossFit still. Yeah, and, I expect But that. that was one thing I meticulously did when I was running. I had my plan laid out for 16 weeks in advance. But you then also wrote down, okay, this was going good. This was not going mm -hmm, good. I mm -hmm. felt a twitch there. Like, yeah, exactly. Do more strength work on your ankle because it feels weak. Uh, pace felt good on that rep. Increase it by five seconds next time. Yeah. Did you actually read back what you wrote? When I was running, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's my idea of like, if I do this, probably can commit to do it. Yeah. But then am I going to actually read it again? That's the thing. Yeah. 
No, it is useful. Probably, I probably didn't do as much as I should, but it was always there. So, but I think uh, like the simple act of writing it down uh, reinforced. Uh, like it's the same way in school; they let you f uh, write things down because you hear it, you write it. It's just another way of internalizing it. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's why I never learn anything. <laughs> I never remember anything. So, like uh, just by yeah. writing it down, you probably don't even need to read it to know the yeah. next time oh yeah there was the angle that uh, i need to work on no interesting yeah yeah i'd agree with that and even if even if you don't reference it it instills it a little bit more uh, for yourself anyway yeah it's also sometimes the moment that you say something out loud or like put it on paper you are realizing some things mm -hmm. that you did not realize the moment when it's just floating in your head mm -hmm. yeah interesting no um But we were talking about uh, resting. Did you then integrate it also more afterwards? Are you now better at resting also now and then? Yeah, definitely. I would say so. I'm more like, I remember when I went through Rotterdam, I think I went 100 days where <laughs> I ran at least 5K every day. Wow. Yeah. Every day. Which people can do, yeah. but maybe of my level is a little bit too much. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you do, we would love it if you consider supporting us on Patreon. Starting at four euros per month, we'll get a shout out during the show. By the way, shout out to Tufik, Alexandro and Tim for supporting us. But you can also opt in for more and get access to exclusive video content made just for you, just like the flash round. To learn more about it, go now on patreon.com slash whatthecrewpodcast, link in description, and get access to some cool shit. But most importantly, support the show you enjoy. See you there, and thank you for considering supporting us. Did you ever have issues with getting injured or? Niggles, but I was always good at spotting them and knowing what needed to be done to fix them. Again, this comes from having a good background in track running from beforehand. Yeah. You run on the track first, you run with better form, you know the drills, you know the rehab, prehab, rehab, whatever you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Jeremy talks about it a lot with strength training. Mm -hmm. I kept that through the entire way. So even when I was running, I was still doing a lot of gym work relatively. Even when I was at my smallest, I was still going in the gym and doing squats, etc. Yeah, good of uh, a good of knowledge base that was set then there exactly, in Edinburgh. Exactly, and I didn't really realize it so much. Or realize that I knew it and a lot of people don't. Yeah. I thought it was a given. Yeah, you thought like everyone knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that I, we talked also in our pre-recording talk that um, especially under amateur, I can't pronounce this word, amateur, uh, hobby runners, um, that they are not starting as professionally as you do. Like uh, most people just put on their shoes and then start running and then add some kilometers over a while and then hit a certain plateau and can't, exactly. I don't know why and how they have to change it. Where when I listen to your story, how you as a hobby runner started, it sounds quite professional. That's why maybe I had to laugh also a few times because you uh, <laughs> yeah. describe yourself as hobby, but it is like so well thought through, like so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's part personality trait. If I want to do something, I want to do it properly. Yeah. And you research every element of it. And almost to a detrimental level, sometimes you can be stubborn. You're like, I'm going to do it properly. And that yeah. can, <laughs> it can, you're in a circle, can, it can rub the wrong way if it conflicts and stuff, but it can also be a positive thing if you know how you want to get it done and you, you research constantly of how to improve that process. Yeah. 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 Um, you said then uh, Kenya was kind of like your reward for yeah. Rotterdam. But yeah. you did qualify with Rotterdam for Boston. Yeah. Before that, I'll finish with Kenya for the yeah. nice story, given we've got London tomorrow as well. So the, 
the the favorite thing we did in Kenya, which they kind of, so we had, we had lots of good things. We met a lot of good runners. We went for tea at Mary Katani's house. That was cool. Seeing like world championship medals, just hanging from like the wall and stuff as if they were just like fun run medals. Yeah. Um, fun run medals. <laughs> again, met Brett, met brother Cole O'Connell, his, his, uh, his training methodologies, et cetera, but a lot more simple than you may expect. His new protege, Ronix Kiproto, who's the 10K world record holder on the road at the moment. And then uh, on one of the penultimate days, we did a fluorus bar run, which is synonymous or well-known in Kenya um, as like a test run. Uh, a lot of marathon runners do it. And it's basically 20 kilometers uphill. And when I mean uphill, I mean six percent gradient so it was something like yay <laughs> <laughs> if, especially if you run in the netherlands you have never seen anything no, like no, this no so it's uh, like an abandoned uh, mine run and it goes from top to bottom and i think we set off at like 5 a.m we get there the sun's coming up and you start and it's start and it's cold and it's warm by the time you get to the top it took us uh, yeah and for reference i was a one yeah sub 120 half marathon runner this 20k took me over two hours yeah. Just over two hours to get up, but it was stunning. And you got to the top and the scenery was beautiful. You're looking over the Rift Valley and yeah, there was lots of people, the whole group was doing it of all abilities. Yeah. And this is kind of like a, uh, yeah, a, a rite of passing for, for, for people in, in Kenya who want to become runners and stuff. So like even Mary Katani and Eliud Kipchoge could tell you their Flores Spa minor, uh, yes. minor yeah. on time. And, uh, you know, the support cars are coming and stuff. So you kind of feel like a, a star for a yeah. day. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. And then when we finished that, we got to go to the NN camp and meet Eliud himself and Jeffrey Camara and, and sit with those guys for, for half an hour or so. And seeing their camp was really cool too. So you see, yeah, even Kipchoge has his weights there. They have a iron bar with two cement blocks on the end to do their weights and they all have their, you know, Nike prototypes lying around on the lawn mm. and that Eliud is still like the most humble, composed person you've ever come across. And you just see it in his aura, the way he talks to people and they were really welcoming. Um, it was amazing. And yeah, you see how humble they are because you read the stories. They've publicized it a lot more that camp over the last couple of years since breaking two, et cetera. And you yeah. see all of the runners have jobs. They do the, they all share rooms. So they all do the, say the laundry and washing the floors and these kind of things keeps them humble and shows how they train hard. Yeah. That's insane. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Like you get already a glimpse of it, uh, especially now, uh, around break and Tudor where, um, interviews, uh, and, uh, mini documentaries and, uh, also like I read a magazine article. Oh, actually you refer to it. Uh, I saw a fun of you, your Instagram story. I found was from mm -hmm. GQ or Menself about, uh, Kim Choga and like you get a glimpse already and you see there already that yeah the humbleness that you were referring yeah. to because it's so simplistic how they are living mm -hmm. and how every day is basically the only goal they have is running yeah besides Sunday where they go like and then like from Monday to Sunday they work yeah Sunday they go home to their family and then they come back on Monday and they yeah. put in again the work exactly and they and it's work but not suffering, you know, they're open to that pain. Yeah. They explore it. And especially as a team, you know, that's where you see that running and sports in general really help even with the team dynamic in an individual sport, because everyone can just get that little more percentage and effort out of each other. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, he is here also the, I learned this actually just, uh, briefly before the sub two that he's the advocate of smiling 
through the yeah. for his race. Um, yeah, that's insane. If you look at him, but well, actually, when he he broke the two hours or whenever he's racing, well, you know how it is difficult, especially at that pace. And he's smiling, and you know mentally the strength that you need to first push that hard, that that yeah. fast, but just to keep smiling and be said that positive. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I think this is something uh, that. Um, like really divides uh, the people a little bit because um, one of the recent episodes we recorded was uh, TSP and um, Tim Kekstra, who also sends a lot of questions and uh, so shout out to Tim, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, receives apparently a lot of questions from his friends why he's doing what he's doing, why we were doing the TSP mm-hmm. and stuff like this that... Um, yeah, like it's, it's, I think maybe more in our society that, uh, maybe Western society that we ask ourselves, like, why would we go through that pain? But and it's then to explore of, your limits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like some people are completely like you are yeah. without any doubt, like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, some other people are then more and, like, and you might you know, not do it, but you know where the limit is then. And I think it's, yeah, it's addictive to kind of explore where those limits are. Yeah. And just the experience itself. Yeah. And you gain from that experience, whether it goes well or it goes bad. Because it's like preparing for race day. Race day is the final um, piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But the whole preparation is also Mm. an experience that is going to actually lead to the race day. Exactly. uh, Every piece is important. And yeah, I think it's it's the whole experience, the whole uh, things you go through, not only the, the final result, but the whole, yeah. The whole journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So probably the uphill uh, 20k mm-hmm. uh, struggle 6% uh, race, that was the main purpose is like experience the pain. Exactly. Go through that. Yeah. And yeah. it's not a kind of race you do a lot. So you don't have any reference point of what should this feel like. Yeah. Crazy. And Absolutely then crazy. after the camp. Yeah. This is when you decided to... I kind of... So shift. I had... So the camp finished mid-2018. Then I had Boston in the spring for 2019 and it was kind of during that training cycle, I kind of decided that I wanted a different challenge for various reasons. So actually in the autumn, I was just off decent form. I ran a half marathon for charity for a colleague of mine, which went really well in London. And then the next Sunday ran the Amsterdam marathon. So something I don't really recommend people doing. (laughs) So I I ran the 120 half marathon and then the next uh, week I ran a 256 marathon. Wow. But that was also kind of the goal in itself. If you can say just to, can you run two good times within a week of each other? Mm -hmm. Let's try it out. (laughs) And then I wasn't enjoying running so much in the Netherlands, to be Mm. honest. And I think it came down to a few things. So I think, yeah, the kind of caught up doing it around work, um, you know, you have to be a bit more giving because I was living with Marluce at this time. So, you know, you've got to take someone else's needs into consideration and and what they want to do, which is completely, you know, uh, reasonable. And uh, um, yeah, I didn't really have to say, I knew Boston wouldn't be far, so there wasn't really a time to go for. I kind of knew that I wanted to enjoy it. And the training cycle was quite hard. Weather was bad. Um, but weather is bad in England as well. It is, but... Not as bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I think I lost a little bit of mental edge that that training cycle, oh, which yeah. I feel like I've got back now. But I, you, I could see a bit of a, more of a defeatist attitude in my training then. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, so... And then I was 
this is when I started doing my strength training unscared, which was cool because then you had a community of people you would see and meet. And I didn't have that for running and I didn't have anyone to go to for running. And again, maybe things would be different if I did have a crew at the time, like you guys are setting up, which I think is such a good initiative. So you didn't really have anyone who was keen on the journey to explore it with, even if just once a week. And I did and say like, uh, and I would enjoy the social aspects at say the CrossFit box a lot more. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so shout out to Marluz for getting me into CrossFit. She was really keen at CrossFit at the time. Uh, Vipika was at Unscared too at the time. And so she, so she got me to sign up for a CrossFit competition and I was in the scale division. So that's like the lesser division. And the CrossFit Open, yeah. No, no. No, it was the Affiliate Cup. Oh, yeah. yeah. True. Scared affiliate Confused. Cup. Confused. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. So the first uh, time I saw you. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you were both there? Oh, yeah. I was there. Oh, that'll help. The and she was like, oh, this is James. This is also a, a guy that is running. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And then at that point, uh, she pointed at you and I was like, okay, that's the guy. And I think you're going to talk about it. That yeah. So at this point, moment. I was very much a runner's build. Yep. So, you know, I was like 58 kilos, 60 kilos. So I was pretty slim, but it's, again, you spoke about it with Jake. It's just part of what comes with it. Yep. And if you want the goals, that's, that's it. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about this competition because I was just going to treat it as a training session. Didn't, uh, I underestimated it massively. And the yeah. first event was a bike and a run, which yeah. obviously I smashed. Yeah. So because Maybe like a little background information. It was um, a CrossFit, a self-organized CrossFit competition by this box. And it had four events on that day. So exactly. it's not only one workout that you do, but it's like four events. In a short space of time. Exactly. Yeah. And as is CrossFit, you can, anything can come up. So the first event came up and it was a, a bike and a run, which was obviously my bread and butter compared yeah. to everyone there. So I beat everyone in both divisions and, but also wanted to put down a bit of a stamp saying like, yeah, I'm the runner. I'm going to run fast and was clearly completely cooked for the rest of the day. <laughs> and the rest of the stuff is just not what would have been good for me at the time. So I say heavy lifting and skillful work and, and then it gets to this last workout and it's a workout of a ton of different movements. And then it, Everyone who was there knows it infamously. And every two minutes, you had to pick up sandbag three times. And I was struggling to pick up this 50 kilo sandbag three times within the two minutes. So I couldn't even do the workout because yeah. I couldn't even pick up the sandbag. And it was at a moment I was like, wow, I suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was like the trigger of being like, I don't like sucking at this yeah. and I want to get better. And seeing, a few friends there at the time. So it's people like Alex and Will, who you know as well, guys, and some of the girls too, as Marlies too, and, and, uh, Lillian, et cetera, crushing big weights. And I was like, I kind of want a bit of that. Yeah. And so that was where the cogs started to change away from running a little yeah. bit. And again, I don't like sucking at something. And I was like, okay, you've still got Boston to do. So just do the minimal training, you know, for what needs to be done, run two, three times a week. I did the CrossFit open alongside it. So that was my first experience of the open, which I loved too. Uh, it's amazing atmosphere, inclusive. You can try and get first movements. Uh, it's a once a week thing for say the span of five weeks. Then, so I'd only been running like two or three times a week, did Boston really enjoyed it because I kind of decided, okay, this is your like last big run, so to say. And I ran still like 304 and blew up. That was the first time I kind of blew up in a marathon because let's face it, I hadn't done the training. Yeah. So I wasn't surprised when it came to mile 20 and the hills in Boston, which are notoriously bad. And yeah, my legs were just cooked then. Mm. Yeah. And I struggled to the finish, which was nice to kind of actually say, oh, I've done a marathon and blown up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but still 304 wasn't too, I was surprised I actually ran that fast on that day, given how little training I'd done and I, I knew I hadn't done the training. And then ever since then, I've kind of decided, okay, let's try and get good at CrossFit. And I'm not as good as CrossFit as I was a runner. And I don't think I ever will be, but it's well, a different goal have... and I'm enjoying it. Exactly. Um, like, I think people would argue with you with that again. Also, like all, because it's all in comparison to your, to your size and also the short time that you're doing it because it was 2019 that you started. Yeah. No. So Boston Marathon was April, 2019. Yeah. So, um, so it's only a year, year and a half yeah. I've been doing CrossFit yeah. and I still actually ran the Great North Run again last September. So a year ago, which was 127 as a CrossFitter. So that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and a lot of people have been surprised and again, I'm also surprised to hear the surprise comments. I don't know why, but I put on nearly 20 kilos in that time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think it's good weight too. And, uh, again, yeah, it's just, you have a new goal, you plan out for it, you adapt and you know what needs to be done and there's still weaknesses to work on, but it's just more of a way I go about things, a way of living. Like I don't want to, if I, if there's something I want to do and I know how to do it, then you just keep going with it. It's not difficult to do. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, there are many things that uh, go through my head. I'm at first, like, I'm extremely curious how far you will get with CrossFit because you're still in the middle of your journey. And, uh, I'm also kind of curious, um, what is coming next, um, after that, uh, that, uh, if you are like at a decent level that you think like, okay, I kind of hit my, um, personal wall here. Let's, let's, uh, find a new challenge. What that well, I think be. with CrossFit, the thing is the ceiling is always pushed higher. Yeah. That I mean, is, we're running as well, but CrossFit, yeah. that, since it's so, sorry. um, broad. so yeah, broad that you, you, you always, always suck at something. And then when you reach a PB, then, I mean, the next PB is around the corner. So you want to push again. Yeah. So, and I think on a, say local level or national level, I think it's harder in CrossFit. So this generation of elite CrossFit athletes are people who didn't grow up doing CrossFit. So mm -hmm. they all came from a different sport. So, which I arguably did in a sense too, yep. but it's really biased towards certain sports. So weightlifting, gymnastics, et cetera. Yeah. The last of which is probably distance running. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. Because whilst there is the occasional distance run in CrossFit, the time domain of a lot of the workouts, even a lot of the cardio work is done on power machines, erg machines, which running doesn't necessarily favor. So yeah. you, you have to come a lot of mobility, overcome a lot of mobility issues, a lot of strength issues, which I think is, it's easier to get a strong person on an aerobic program than it is to get an aerobic person and get them to the same level mm -hmm. of strength as quickly. Yeah. So yeah, the ceiling will be higher it, and it will take longer to get there but yeah it takes a while maybe before, at some point yeah. i would love i'll probably dip back into running i imagine i will when i'm like who knows you'd say 30 35 40 yeah 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 yeah. yeah we were also asking you before um if you um because our crossfit uh, box offers uh, crossfit offers ollie and uh, strength training mm -hmm. and uh, what you would pick um and you were going for crossfit because it has it's more similar to uh, uh, the, the the running part like is this still like what you enjoy uh because like you could arguably say that uh, with CrossFit, you're for a longer period, more active. And it's, it. am I correct if I say like, it's yeah. more similar to, uh, to, to. I think it's closer to running than, yeah. than strengthened Olympic It's lifting. more of a workout going on than. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of reps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it kind of, it's a, it's a similar energy system or a similar closer energy system. Um, 
a lot of variance, which I think is the interesting thing and the yep. fun thing about it too. You get to do a lot of different movements. Never the same thing. Yeah, in different reps, time domains, uh, weights, etc. So there's a lot of variance work here to work out, which keeps it interesting, which yeah, is not going to necessarily happen in Olympic weightlifting or strength. They're very specialized in the same way that running is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, do you then, uh, do you see that, well benefits from uh, your running background now with uh, CrossFit beside when there is occasional run uh, programmed? I think the whole experience of like your um, your mentality of committing, yeah, of going all out and, and knowing how you prepare your, your trainings, I think this helps a lot. Mentality, yeah. And mentality and the mental work. So mm. programming, knowing how to sort of periodize. I actually had quite a lot from running how to build up certain systems or focuses, strengths, uh, cardio, et cetera, aerobic base. And I think that's one thing that I've been quite good at is say, yeah, knowing that strengths needs thing, I need to focus on how to, how do you do that naturally, how to research these things, how to build on these skills, um, to keep yourself fit whilst doing so, whilst improving and not mm -hmm. going too far. And I think the only physical thing that helped is my ability to handle volume. So I've been able to do a lot of training because relative, like the amount of hours exercise when I was running, I'm not doing as much now with CrossFit. So my recovery times were actually quite good as a beginner, but the actual physical movements, not so much. Yeah. It's actually something related to that, uh, that I want to ask you, what do you think was harder if even, um, the push through with the long endurance runs, especially with the marathons, then you said like the last yeah. 10K is really pain. Mm -hmm. um, or um, also that to everyone that is not familiar with CrossFit, like an average CrossFit workout is like 30 hours, uh, 30 minutes is already quite on the long, long. side. So I like take 20, 10 to 20 minutes. Exactly. I'd say. Uh, so they are relatively short, but still they are painful since they are like so, like the intention mm -hmm. is that you go hard in these trends. What is harder for you? I think a marathon's incomparable to CrossFit. I think a 5k is. Okay. So I think you can, in a 5k, even a mile, um, you have the ability to just, if you can find that dark space and sit with it mm -hmm. for like the really dark space mm -hmm. and sit with it for 20 minutes, you know, you can kind of shut off the pain, just keep moving and you can get there. And, uh, you know, when you talk about being in the zone and that kind of thing, I think that's a little bit easier to get into mm -hmm. because the end point is nearer. In a marathon, I think it's very different. I think when you get to that last 10K and it's literally doing such a simple movement as putting one foot in front of the other and knowing you're still going to be doing this for another 40 minutes, maybe an hour, mm. 30 minutes even, if you're particularly fast, it's just so long to sit with that mentally. And I don't think you really hit that in CrossFit. And I think anytime you do hit that in CrossFit, you're not doing it at the same intensity. So yeah. like, for example, in the CrossFit games, they had a marathon row. Yeah but they're not doing that marathon row at the same intensity someone does a marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good uh, good answer, good explanation. Mm -hmm. um, let's get uh, to the questions from the audience because we received <laughs> many, yep. many of them. Indeed. Apologies. <laughs> yeah, your friends nice. and uh, girlfriend laugh. was uh, very active. <laughs> so you guys can... Um, uh, listening or watching, you can always uh, submit your question via Instagram or Facebook at What the Group Podcast or uh, send us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash What the Group Podcast. And all links are going to be in the show load as per usual. 
And the first, first question received is uh, one from our runners at Utrecht Running Project, Alexandra. She asked, what advice would you give to someone who wants to complete their first marathon regardless of the finish time? Yeah, this is a good question. And okay, not answering the question, but I talked about it earlier briefly. I think, I do think the marathon is the most rewarding distance you can do because that space you go through and say that last, when you hit the wall and you get through it and you carry on. But I think if you want to do them well, focus on running well and focus on running fast first, because even when you run a marathon, the majority of your training will either be faster than your marathon pace or slow, but not too far off your marathon pace. So to say, uh, when you're doing long runs, just, just the long runs, not your easy miles. Um, but then for your first marathon itself, yeah, really plan from far back and build up your mileage. So, you know, you should be looking at what you need to do from 16 weeks out build up that mileage so that you get used to, yeah, okay, this is more than one piece of advice, but you get used to running on tired legs. So you know that you can go out and do your, when you build up those long runs and then you're say four or three weeks out and you hit a 20, 22 mile run, you know what it feels like. And you've, you've done it on tired legs. You've practiced all the small things like your nutrition, your hydration, etc. And then I think, yeah, draw from that. So <laughs> planning, I guess is the main thing. No, they're very, like, definitely very good uh, yeah. pieces of advice uh, in there. Yeah, just don't underestimate it. Second question, who would win a, in a fight? <laughs> 2020 James or 2018 James by William? <laughs> well, 2018 James would just be able to run away. If, if he got pinned, then it's not close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then 2020 James has crushed him. Then Lillian asks, uh, how do you become a fit Daniel Craig lookalike in less than uh, two years? So I want to give a little, um, uh, maybe an explanation about this uh, question. Is that you posted uh, recently a picture uh, <laughs> on your Instagram on, uh, basically if you've seen, I think it's... Uh, I, I can't remember. Skyfall? I need more followers. Come oh, on. I don't know. Me, uh, I've got or, nothing to push. That's all I'm going to push my Instagram. <laughs> uh, I think it was uh, no, not Skyfall. Um, Casino Royale. Yeah, and uh, he's, one, basically, he's basically he's um, basically on the beach uh, uh, wearing a uh, board shorts, and uh, and you basically had the same picture on your Instagram <laughs> recently. And since you you took quite some um, um, quite some mass in the last two yeah, years, I've put on you 15, look kilos. <laughs> I put on a lot of muscle mass yeah. in the last couple of years and a lot of, so we didn't really talk about it before actually, but, uh, after my first marathon, I switched to vegan diet, um, for one, two good reasons and one bad reason. And two good reasons were it's like, yeah, it's quite obvious to me. It's something you can do for sustainability, um, which I think is quite cool Two, I read a lot of evidence of athletes doing it. So again, purely selfishly because, um, I wanted to perform better. And I mm -hmm. thought that might give you an edge, particularly in, in running sports, but actually it's worked out quite well for CrossFit for me too. And then another one in that Marlies had done it first and I was quite stubborn being like, oh, it can't be that hard to go vegan. So I went vegan yeah. and just haven't looked back since. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. But so, so after the last two years, I've actually put on quite a lot of mass, let's say, uh, eating vegan still. And it's the classic, you know, where do you get your protein from and so on. But it's just in the research again, same as training. Yeah. Like yeah. if you know what you need yeah, to as eat, as long as you commit, there's a lot of information out there. Exactly. You find it's a lot easier nowadays as well. I will actually say, because there's a lot more products in accessible in the supermarket in restaurants, etc. So the attitude has changed quite a lot. I don't know if I could have been vegan 10 years ago, so to say. Probably not. Yeah. No, not, not with well, as much, not yeah. that easy. Yeah. Yeah. No. But then again, you like to uh, push yourself through some pain. So yeah, maybe exactly you would still right. do that. So right. it's, still, it's just a bigger challenge. 
But exactly that. It's it's just all in the preparation. You know what needs to be done. You can do it. Yeah. Perfect transition for the next question, which is also from Lillian. And she asks, if we become vegan, do we get to run, lift and look like James? So basically what I like to be behind this uh, funny question is that you can be vegan and perform very well. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of good examples in sport of, of elite athletes too. So uh, there's a number of basketballers doing it, a number of footballers now who are doing it. We, we talk about it in Kenya. The Kenyans are essentially vegan. There's the only exception I would say is they drink quite a lot of milk. So they love uh, Kenyan tea. It's like 50% water, 50% milk, and mm. then probably another 50%, let's say sugar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really sweet, milky tea. But uh, in Kenya, actually, they do, they do have eggs sometimes, but they don't eat a lot of meat because uh, cows are pretty valuable for them. Yep. So they don't f like farm cows quite a lot. Meat would be quite a treat. Mm -hmm. So otherwise... A lot of it is not particularly dairy-based, a lot of high carbohydrates, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, um, uh, nuts, et cetera. So they're, they're quite close to, a, let's say, a plant-based diet where you're 90% vegan. Yeah. And again, you can be vegan and be unhealthy. You can eat, you know, fries the whole time or, or whatever. It's, uh, it's just a combination of the training and the amounts you eat of each, each, um, Yeah, you know, yeah. carbs, fats, proteins, etc. And if you do running and you train a lot and you eat a lot, you're going to look like a runner. If you do the same across CrossFit and you eat the right things, you're going to get bigger. I think it's just people don't realize the process of what needs to be done. Yeah. How was the switch like? From vegan, uh, not no, vegan from, to vegan or yeah, from exactly. CrossFit? Um, no, vegan to a uh, vegan. Easier than I thought. I'd probably already turned a lot of non-vegan foods kind of away before I actually made the switch. Yeah, so, you had Osama loose anyway. So yeah. I don't know so how much she, you cook together. Or yeah, together. exactly. So it makes it a hell of a lot easier that we cook a lot together um, now. And, uh, but at the time, you know, I didn't eat, I drink a lot of milk. You know, I would not really have stuff like cheese a lot. Um, meat wise, I pretty much just had chicken and fish because that's kind of what I had for, let's say a healthier diet anyway. Mm -hmm. And there's so many substitutes now that you can kind of get your psychological fix. That's one thing that I will say that I wouldn't be able to do without. So I can have a vegan burger and it feels like I've had a burger or mm. I can have a vegan pizza and it feels like I've had a pizza and it's okay. It's not going to taste the same, but Close it's enough. just that small psychological fix that I'm not denying myself any particular food. Yeah. Yeah. Is there certain things that you found difficult to find or to replace? Because I was now also thinking of gummy bears. Isn't not gummy bears also like because they're gelatin? Yeah, but you can find yeah. uh, vegetarian substitutes now. Yeah. So like I think vegan you can find everything nowadays. Now Maybe, you can. Yeah, that's so, and they're getting better in quality too. Oh. So I think cheese didn't used to be as good. There's not really a good fish substitute. I'd say sushi is probably the thing I miss the most. Mm. Like good quality sushi. But I can do without, I feel. Yeah. And another question from Alexandra saying, uh, why are Kenyan marathon runners always in the lead? Are they genetically predisposed? I would, this is a good question as well. And again, another story from our time in the camp, because this comes up a lot and it's kind of a Kenyan way of running and it comes from the mentality and it comes from not a naivety, but I'd say a braveness. And if a Kenyan runner, again, this is the way they bring up even through schools, etc when they start off a race, they start super fast. They're always leading. And it's because they think if I'm going to be the fastest, I need to run with the fastest. 
and I need to be the person in the lead and through training, through races. And that probably pushes each of them on to be better. And okay, the, the weaker ones won't make it, but they push themselves. And so as a group, that's why they are so much better because they just know how to go out brave, find that pain and go for it. They're not conservative. They want to win. They want to be the one winning. Yeah. And if it means they blow up, so be it. But you're never going to set a world record by running slower than a world record. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and genetically predisposed, predisposed, eh? predisposed, predisposed. <laughs> I'm corrected to British. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Um, not so much, but I think again, we talked, there was a lot of environmental factors. There's a lot of good genetic factors too, but I'd say less than 25%. The, the big difference for your feeling is really the mental part that makes. Yeah. In environment and upbringing. Yeah. So the physical environment and the hardships they endure and they train that much harder collectively and individually. Yep. Uh, Jeremy that we had on the podcast is asking a uh, hundred kilo snatch or two and a half hour marathon. Pick one and you will never <laughs> set a PR on the other one in your life. Good question. I got pretty close to two and a half hour marathon, but two and a half hour marathon, but I'm not that close to hundred kilo snatch <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> Uh, oh, tough one. Yeah. I'm probably actually going to say the two and a half hour marathon. Okay. It'd be nice to know. I wonder what the percentage is. I, I wonder how many people have snatched over a hundred kilos mm -hmm. and how many have gone under two and a half hour marathons. You could do the same. I'm sure you could find that out quite easily for say two hour, 10 marathons and 150 kilo snatches. But I Yeah, that, they're, they're very different. But for me personally, I'd say two and a half hour marathon. I would like to snatch a hundred kilos, definitely, but yep. I'll choose a two and a half hour marathon. Because right. it's closer, more achievable? Or it used to be closer, uh, more achievable? Or uh... Yeah. Because you're like, I'm actually quite surprised by this answer since you're like so into CrossFit in the moment and uh, like your life completely evolves around that. And yes, of course you go now and then for a run, but it's not your life anymore. So I'm, I'm really surprised that you didn't Yeah, but then again, two I and a half it's, hour, it's nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice tough. I, I think it's, okay, for me to ever snatch a hundred kilos, I'd have to snatch really well. I think there's a lot of, Big guys, I'm going to do them really dishonestly here. There could be like a 120 kilo guy who snatches 100 kilos quite ugly. But I don't think there's anyone who can run a two and a half hour marathon ugly or without the preparation. No. So call that 150 kilo snatch. And I think it's different. But I think that takes far more preparation for the aggregate of people to be able to run a two and a half hour marathon. Okay, I do. I'm happy that I asked because now it's more understandable for me why you choose that. Yeah. And we have a last question from Malus, your girlfriend. <laughs> uh, is it hard to run with chunky legs? 100%. Grab the Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when I was skinny and used to run, no problem chafing. Yeah. And like, I remember when I did the half marathon last year, like, wow, yeah, chafing, this is a thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Not just, yeah. So I think the two worst places, I remember this happened, um, 
so I never used to have it on my legs, but God, gross stories. Then when I did No, don't worry. Like, I'm sorry. Like I'm a girl and that this is may, probably more common to us than any. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like that was the first time I really experienced it on my legs just because your legs are bigger. But I remember when I did Copenhagen, I really had it underneath my armpits. Yeah. And they had a Vaseline yeah. stop halfway through and it wasn't, no, it wasn't even a Vaseline stop. It was just a guy in the crowd, like handling out Vaseline. That's one amazing thing about runs. You see it at the Great North Run a lot. People are handing out like beers and gummy sweets like a mile from the finish. Like the crowd mentality of mm, just like, spirit, here, take yeah. this, you can do it. And so there was some random guy like, yeah, have some Vaseline. And I just, I didn't want to stop running. So I just took a huge chunk of Vaseline <laughs> for my armpits, which was so relieving. But then I had like an entire piece of Vaseline oh. like on my hand for the rest of the race. Completely forgot about that until this moment. Yeah, this is amazing. This is a good story. But yes, um, like especially since you have the wings, yeah, you you start yeah. rubbing against that. Like uh, also happens to us girls if we have the wrong uh, sports bra on. Yeah, then uh, just painful. And our two usual questions: uh, If you can give one piece of advice to the listeners and uh, viewers, what would it be? So regarding uh, either building up. Uh, like in a, in a good um, training program to a big race, a marathon or a half marathon, or maybe regarding the, the training camp in, uh, in Kenya. Yeah, I guess if you are, it's kind of hard to summarize, but I guess prepare in everything. So not just the running, but diet, et cetera. And yeah, a lot of preparation and then train hard and the rest will come. Yeah, And Go so, yeah. And I don't mean going out hard every time, you know, it's, it's that element of being smart, but knowing when you need to train hard to put in that work and then you can rest in the rest. So don't feel like you need to suffer for the sake of suffering, but explore where your limit is and really find how hard you can go. And then if you train hard, the race will be easy. Yeah. And uh, the second question that we always ask is, uh, who should we invite to the show or um, what topic would you love to hear about? Yeah, I think my answer, I'm going to steal from Kevin a little bit. We've talked about this before, but again, it's the innovation for say like shoes, like shoe designers, what goes into the whole process of that. And on a wider extent, just everything that goes into, which isn't physically training and running. So it could be gear, it could be nutrition, gels, hydration, um, smallest things. Like there's a nice quote from, uh, the team Ineos director, old team sky, Dave Brailsford. And he talks about the aggregate of marginal gains. So they're very much a mantra is like, if we can find half a percent somewhere, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And again, that ties into the preparation of, you can do so many small things, which will add up. And, uh, you, loads of people talk about it. I've seen CrossFit coaches talk about it and you say, you know, you've got to love to make the inches. You've got to love to make the small gains and the big ones will come. The classic, you add one kilo on your lift every week and you're going to have 50 kilos in a year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Um, where can people find you? Well, we mentioned already doing the, uh, podcast, uh, uh yeah. At James Mohan. Um, Instagram, I, yeah. I don't really have a lot to, uh, push personally in terms no. of business and so on but it'd be cool if uh, I got more followers than Molly so that'd be yeah, a, nice, <laughs> a nice dig to her <laughs> but yeah otherwise again I'll post kind of fun stuff for me just training and so on but yeah and then you can see the grind that he's going through uh, towards a hundred kilo snatch yeah. I think it's, it's the nice thing even when it's uh, training with others I like seeing people doing like really hard sessions running or other things and it's great to have a group of people around you who are like 
again, I have that now with CrossFit. Don't necessarily have it with running. Yeah. Like, yeah, who wants to go do this stupid thing and then three hands will go up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. And it's not stupid. It's hard training, but um, it, you need a certain select group of people who exactly. would go do that with you. Yeah. It's 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 uncommon yeah. what we said before, but it's nice that, um, yeah, that uh, we find or you found the group of people that give you the same push that you had. Exactly. Um, with Edinburgh. Yeah. And with the running. Yeah. Yeah. How can people find us? Well, anyway, on all favorite uh, podcast platforms uh, on YouTube, if you're watching this show. And you can also find us on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash whatthecrewpodcast. And uh, you can support the show. And a big shout out to Tim and Alexandro for being our supporters of the moment. Exactly. And uh, we mentioned it already. We have an Instagram page. So you can find our questions from the audience uh, part always there. And also always find when we up upload episodes and follow the latest things we do. And if you want to join us personally, you can do so with the Utrecht Running Project because we run every Tuesday at seven o'clock and every other week, either on Thursdays for intervals or on Sundays for long runs. Yeah. All information in the show notes. James, thank you for your time. No, thank you very much. It was nice having really you on enjoyable. the show. Yeah. We yeah, learned a lot you. today. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Bye-bye.